This is 89.1 WEMU, and I'm David Fair. Welcome to the Green Room. PFAS chemicals have become a significant environmental concern of late, but they were introduced back in the 1950s with Teflon and Scotchgard. Since then, industry has added them to a myriad of products, from firefighting foam and food wrappers to carpeting and car seats. In the first of a five-part series on PFAS, Barbara Lucas explores the health impacts of these substances that have become so ubiquitous in our lives. A couple months ago, I was jogging around Argo Pond and the Huron River. Rounding the bend under the M14 freeway bridge, I saw something that stopped me in my tracks. Scores and scores of big pillows of white foam floating down the river, like chunks off an iceberg, many a foot high and several feet long. I knew that last fall, foam on the Huron had tested positive for PFAS, and the state of Michigan had warned people not to swallow the foam there. So I took photos of these floating pillows and emailed them to Gerald Tiernan of Michigan's Department of Environment, Great Lakes, and Energy. Tiernan responded, the foam likely has some detectable concentrations of PFAS, and he forwarded the state's advisory, warning that people and pets should not even touch the foam on water bodies in Michigan. The advisory says that while swimming or bathing in water that contains PFAS is not a health risk, the foam may contain much higher concentrations. So what is PFAS? Reading from the EPA website, per and polyfluoroalkyl substances are a group of man-made chemicals that include PFOA, PFOS, Gen X, and many other chemicals. Until recently, PFAS was not on the radar in Michigan. While problems with it were emerging in places like West Virginia, Michigan seemed relatively unscathed. One of the first to raise the alarm in our state was Bob Delaney. I'm an environmental quality specialist at the state of Michigan. I do want to state that I am not speaking on behalf of the state of Michigan. This is um, my own time and I, I will be speaking as a private citizen. Once created by humans, PFAS chemicals are here to stay in our bodies and in our environment. That fact was a red flag for Delaney. Nature's never seen them there, uh, and they're actually used because they're so indestructible. Over eight years ago, he began investigating PFAS in Michigan. When I learned about this stuff, I literally felt like I was standing at the edge of the abyss looking down into hell, that I had never seen chemicals like this. He and a colleague produced an extensive report, which in 2012 they submitted to the Michigan Department of Environmental Quality. They were hoping to get the problem taken seriously. I knew uh, right from the start they were everywhere and that they were toxic. Everywhere is right. Blood testing nationwide shows that pretty much everyone has at least base levels of PFAS in their bodies, and those who live near hotspots often test much higher. To get a feel for the potential health impacts of high levels, I speak with Dr. Richard Radisky. I'm a professor of water resources at the Annis Water Resources Institute of Grand Valley State University. Dr. Radisky has been serving as a scientific advisor for a group of citizen activists in Rockford, Michigan, which is one of the nation's most PFAS-contaminated areas. Like Delaney, Radisky sees many red flags when it comes to PFAS. The three warning signs are that it's water-soluble, it spreads, it doesn't degrade, and it circulates in your blood. I mean, those are really not good things. He says PFAS binds to protein, affects sex hormones, and is in breast milk. It's something to be of concern and it's passed directly to the fetus and then 
because the 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 baby's diet is is all liquids they they actually drink more water than uh you know an adult does so their ex- ex- childhood exposure is much higher um, than adult exposure a lot of times some industries that manufacture pfas chemicals have known for a long time that there were health impacts as more health studies are done outside of industry and results become public, concern is growing. This hand-washing station is a case in point. It's at the end of the Cascades, a wildly popular series of man-made waterfalls downstream of Argo Pond and the Huron River. It's positively jammed with tubers. Luckily, there's no foam in sight. In fact, I haven't seen any foam around here all summer. But out of an abundance of caution, the city of Ann Arbor recently installed this spigot for tubers to use when they leave the river. The Ann Arbor-based Ecology Center is a leader in campaigns against toxins. So I consult with Dr. Rebecca Munink, their deputy director. Along with testing for PFAS content and products, the Ecology Center is working on on setting um, drinking water standards and what we can do to prevent future exposures like banning the use of PFAS in firefighting foam. We discuss the results of research, such as the huge study of almost 70,000 people in Ohio and West Virginia who were exposed to PFOA from a Teflon manufacturing plant. This and other studies have found potential links to a long list of health problems changes in liver, pancreas, and thyroid function, issues with blood pressure, cholesterol, immune systems, and hormones, higher incidences of colitis, cancers, and infertility. I especially asked Munich about a study I came across that I found rather shocking on boys in Italy. Of the genitalia to see um, if there are changes associated with high levels of PFAS. And unfortunately, they found that there were. They found that there were statistically significant changes in that um, those young men had smaller penis sizes and lower sperm counts. All kinds of different health impacts and being found all over the world. But regardless of the health issue in question, those at highest risk are often for workers who are going to be more directly exposed to these chemicals in their work environment. What about the majority of people, those who don't work with PFAS chemicals on the job, but who are accumulating low levels due to the many products in their lives that contain PFAS? For instance, knowing that water resistance is often accomplished with PFAS chemicals, I asked Munich if I should worry about my new raincoat. You may not have a huge amount of exposure um, when you're wearing a raincoat that's treated with PFAS. However, somewhere, someone is living downstream from a factory that produced that, that raincoat and has perhaps, like we have here, you know, not because of raincoats, um, but has exposure to PFAS chemicals in their drinking water. Riding my bike while wearing my new raincoat, I get to wondering, why am I more concerned about my raincoat than my bicycling? I know that biking is risky. I've seen the cold, hard stats on fatalities. So why do I, along with the rest of society, feel so much more urgency about addressing PFAS, whose dangers and what to do about them are so much less well understood? I discussed this with Dr. Radisky. There are certain things that we uh, decide to do and we accept the risk. And then there's what we call involuntary risks where we, we don't associate you know, chemicals in water as something that we would have risk, just like chemicals in food. Um, so it's, 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 it comes down to voluntary versus involuntary risks. There's also something elemental about clean water, food, and air. 
In fact, many consider them human rights. In upcoming segments of our Green Room series on PFAS, we'll explore further questions, such as those posed by Bob Delaney. What I really want people to ask is, okay, how did we get to this point? And then what are we going to change so that we can move forward? In the Green Room, I'm Barbara Lucas, 89.1 WEMU News. The Green Room is a presentation of the News Department of 89.1 WEMU. And the PFOS series will continue on the last Friday of each month through November. I'm David Fair, and this is 89.1 WEMU-FM and WEMU-HD1 Ypsilanti.